We are diving into all things thrifting, vintage, or secondhand shopping, as well as a variety of other topics, including labor activism, what's going on in terms of the secondhand market, things to think about to have a more mindful lifestyle, and just the state of the fashion industry in general in this podcast episode with Emily from the Pre-Love Podcast, so make sure you tune in. Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is the top-rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing clothing brand, or making a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, the founder and CEO of Recloseted. Each week, I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to let you know that we have an early Black Friday offer or just holiday offer in general. This offer is really exciting because you can take 20% off anything in our online store. That includes the handbook, that includes the consulting intensive, and also some exciting new bundles we have on our website. Simply use code ETHICALFRIDAY. We're going to have all the details in the show notes, but you can use code ETHICALFRIDAY for 20% off. And to check out our online shop, you just need to go to www.recloseted.com shop. And throughout this episode, if you want to learn more about how to be a more conscious, sustainable fashion consumer and just better with your choices overall, but still be stylish and still be realistic based on your current lifestyle, then definitely check out the handbook. Usually I tell folks to use code podcast for 10% off, but take advantage of our ethical Black Friday offer and you can use code ethical Friday for 20% off instead. If you want to see more about the handbook, you can go to www.recloseted.com slash handbook. And also it'll be linked in the online shop anyways as well. So we will have all of that in the show notes for you. And this episode is really exciting because I am interviewing Emily. She is a writer, a podcaster, and an educator with expertise in the vintage and secondhand fashion industry. She is also the host and creator of the Pre-Loved Podcast which is a weekly interview podcast about vintage and secondhand fashion. I was also interviewed on Emily's podcast, the Pre-Love podcast, so we will leave that in the show notes so that you can take a listen. But in my interview episode on her podcast, I talked about launching a brand, scaling a brand, building a team, scaling a team, my history with pre-love fashion and vintage fashion. So if you're curious and you want to have a really good supplement to this discussion, then check out that episode. And now let's dive into the interview with Emily. Welcome to Recloseted Radio, Emily. I am so excited to have you. I always ask the same question to our guests when they come on, but can you give us a quick intro to yourself and also a quick overview of your career? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm Emily Stokel. I'm a writer and podcaster on the vintage and secondhand fashion beat. And I'm the host and creator of Pre-Loved Podcast, which was the first vintage fashion interview podcast to hit the airwaves back in 2018. 
I also write for publications like Atmos, Refinery29, about the vintage and secondhand industry, and I create content about vintage, thrifting, climate activism, sustainability on social media channels. I do some fashion activism education work with a great organization called Remake, and I'm sure we're going to chat about all that and more on the show today, so we'll leave it there. Yeah, that sounds great. It seems like you're doing a lot. And so before we dive into all of that, I did want to start the conversation with you defining what sustainability means to you. Oh, great question. So for me, sustainability and like my sustainability journey actually started with a background in labor activism. So I really believe that social sustainability or the the ethical fashion portion of this conversation is just as important a part of the conversation as sustainability and um, climate justice. So going back, my grandma was was very involved in bringing me up and she was a labor activist. She worked at a plastics factory and was a single mom raising six kids. She, you know, worked at the same factory and was part of the same union from the 60s when my dad was born until she retired to bring me up while my parents worked in the 90s. And, you know, so I I would hear these stories about, you know, in the 60s and the 70s, her being a part of walkouts and strikes and fighting for fair pay, um, you know, for the women who worked in the factory compared to the men who worked on the same line, etc. And she just like really raised me with this value that worker solidarity is important. And as I got older, I also... Like, I, I just came to understand how her life was never easy. She had a lot of struggles, but I came to understand how the protections that she had as a member of the union, like, did provide a base level of living for her that it just doesn't exist even in the United States today. Like, I, I think today, you know, of a woman, like I said, a single mom raising six kids in my grandmother's same position, working in a factory or an Amazon warehouse or whatever the current day equivalent of this would be and just like the protections that she just simply would not be afforded because of the erosion of union protections even here in the United States. So that, you know, impacted a lot of my upbringing. Then I went to school and I went to a tiny liberal arts college. I wanted to be a writer of some kind. I studied English literature and history. And my history work was like the research that I did was really about like the the a labor history and women's history and if you study labor history and women's history it leads you very quickly to the fashion industry like a lot of the pivotal moments in labor history happened within the garment sector and so i ended up doing a lot of like that kind of academic research in school and along this whole time, I was into thrifting and things like that. But just because I was like an arty, quirky kid, like it wasn't the, the meaning of it didn't click for me yet. Um, But I was passionate about all these subjects. So then like right as I'm getting out of school um, in 2013 was right around the time of the Rana Plaza factory collapse, the True Cost documentary coming out, some of the pivotal books that have come out about this industry, like Overdressed by Elizabeth Klein. 
And like that was when it really all clicked for me, you know, the historical research that I had been doing, the current events that were happening. And like I started to realize that this social sustainability ethics portion of the fashion industry was a major issue. And I just started to like deep dive down, learn, try to learn as much about the space as I could because like I don't come from a fashion background at all. I haven't worked in the industry. I I didn't, you know, I didn't even really grow up all that interested in fashion. And so like there was a lot for me to learn and I came at it, like I said, always through this interest in labor history. And then along the lines, I started Pre-Love Podcast because I'm very passionate about conscious fashion and these topics. But Like I said, what brought me to this space was a love of thrifting. And at the time, that was sort of being treated as like a separate chapter of the sustainable fashion story. And so I decided to make a show that would kind of be about like how I came to this space. Yeah, I love it. And speaking of your podcast, we're doing a swap. So I was also recently interviewed as well. So I'll leave the episode in the show notes so folks can check it out. But I really want to dive into kind of your thrifting journey as well. So we can kick things off with a fun question. But what's the favorite item you've ever thrifted? Or like, what's your proudest find? Ooh, very, very fun. One of my like an item that I just absolutely love is this dark brown leather trench coat. It's like, well, it's like not a full length trench. It's more like a trench style blazer. And I got it from my friend. Their brand is Destiny's Legendary Children. And they're a a vintage shop in Brooklyn. They've been on my show um, and it was a really fun episode to do. But it's one of those pieces, like I love a good leather jacket and this leather jacket makes me feel like I don't ever have to look for another leather jacket again because I found like the perfect one for me, which is just such a good feeling. A lot of my favorite pieces are pieces that I've collected from travel or like pieces that I've bought from vintage vendors who have become friends. Because for me, like it's all very much tied up in that story aspect. And so I I love that. Like when I when I have a piece in my collection, I'm like this person gave it to me on this trip that I was on and it has these memories. Yeah, amazing. I love that. And so let's dive into more on thrifting because I'm really excited to talk about this with you. I think a lot of people have these preconceived notions or there's these myths with thrifting. So is there anything that you want to debunk or any myths you want to bust? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest myths with about the secondhand space is this discourse about like that that there's like somehow a shortage of stuff in the secondhand industry or that like people are taking all the stuff or resellers are taking all the stuff or what have you, whatever you might hear online. And I think that the reason why this myth has come about is because we live in this, you know, capitalistic perpetuated world where there's always lack, like there's always lack of resources and we're always worried about lack of resources. But there is just like no lack in the secondhand fashion industry. And that cannot be emphasized enough. There 
is so much used clothing on the market that only about 10 to 20 percent of what goes into the secondhand stream, you know, usually via charity shops, actually resells in those stores. And then the unfortunate reality is that a lot of the clothing that does not resell, especially in charity shops here in the U.S. or in the global north otherwise, is usually exported to the global south, places like Accra, Ghana in particular. I know on on my podcast episode, we talked about how, you know, you're hoping to get Liz Ricketts from the Orr Foundation on the show. Great resources about what the secondhand industry in the global south looks like and really just like completely debunking this notion about the supply and demand equation looks like in the in the secondhand industry. I think the other thing that I really like want people to know about the secondhand industry is that, you know, when this industry like came about, you know, hundreds of years ago, actually, it was because charity organizations were able to identify that people would be willing to part with their clothing, usually for free, out of an eagerness to consume more and newer pieces. Um, And so these charity organizations like picked out the fact that clothing is fast moving and it's abundant and it's like a consumer good that we're willing to part with so that we can buy more of it. And I think a lot of people have lived with this like long expectation that the secondhand industry exists for the purpose of like clothing people in our local communities. And, you know, while that may be a small portion of what the mission of those organizations are, um, the, the, fact is that most charity shops don't function solely for that purpose. Most charity shops fo- function for the purpose of reselling, like I said, this fast-moving consumer good that they can use to then fund whatever charitable issue it is that they're tackling. And that could be, you know, Um, serving people in our local communities, certainly, but it could be a a wide variety of um, issues that the charity shop is is tackling. So I think just understanding like thrift stores, I think are becoming more and more a part of mainstream culture, which I absolutely love, but just kind of understanding the role that they play in our society. And I don't, I also like don't blame people for having these perhaps misplaced impressions because this has long been the marketing to us. Like as with so many things, like it's been marketed to us this way. Um, But just, yeah, just like as we're engaging with the secondhand industry more, I, I like want people to understand it better. No, totally. Thank you for taking the time to debunk that because I have seen a lot of narrative recently around the fact that, you know, reselling is not good and it's just contributing to the problem. But again, it's very clickbaity and I think there's nuance to everything and you just need to educate and inform yourself and dig deeper. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, I just think that, you know, if we really stop and think about it, it it feels like an incomplete explanation of the issue. And like, I, I say that because it's not to discredit that like any of those societal problems that people are pointing out, like they are all real. There are people in our community who are not being served and there there is a cost of living crisis and like all of this is real but the equation of like lack in the secondhand store taking away from others it just really like doesn't address the problems that are systemic problems that 
we've identified. And I encourage people, like if they are truly interested in wanting to address some of those systemic problems within their own local communities, for me, it's like not about taking yourself out of the secondhand shop, like being like, oh, I shouldn't be in this space. I would actually really recommend to people that if they want to make a difference on these systemic issues, they should get m- more involved. So they should try volunteering. Um, you know, if they're passionate about a certain thing, like making sure that their local charity shop has accessible work appropriate clothing for for economically disadvantaged members of the community. Maybe they could work with the charity shop to make a career closet that they curate on a volunteer basis or something like that. Things that like actually will address these systemic problems take community engagement. And I think like avid thrifters who are frequent customers of shops like could be the people to bring those initiatives to fruition. Like, you know, use that creative energy to actually like get involved involved in your community. And so that's what I say to people when they're like questioning, like, should I be in this space? Like, I want to see you use your talents to help your local community. And I do think that you can do that inside the secondhand ecosystem. Yeah, very well said. I think when people first find out about issues or problems, the gut reaction is just to not want to deal with it at all. But to what you're saying, like really lean in, stay curious and see what you can do to make a difference. Yeah. And like we tend to answer that this isn't just about secondhand shopping, but even sustainable fashion more broadly, like we have this inkling to answer problems based on like what I do buy or what I don't buy. And that's not always the best. That's usually not the best way to tackle these issues, which are much more systemic, which are actually solved by your like civic action rather than necessarily being like simply tied up in your consumer action. Yep, totally. It's a holistic approach. And yes, it's part of it, but it's not the entire story to your point. And so stepping back a little bit, if anyone's listening that's just starting their thrifting journey and they're a bit overwhelmed because some shops maybe just have a lot of different inventory and different things, do you have any tips? Yeah. So my first piece of advice for anybody who is like just trying out pre-loved for the first time and isn't quite sure how to make the switch from purchasing retail to purchasing secondhand is to try out the secondhand apps or websites. There are so many of them these days, but say you go on a Poshmark, for example, you can look for a specific, not even just a specific brand, but like say you always buy the same style of jeans from a specific brand. You can actually search those styles, that brand, that size that you're familiar with, and you can find that item on the secondhand market, sometimes even new with tags, and and just like make that very simple switch first. And that is what I encourage people to try out first because I think it shocks them to see how often the brand new item that they may be looking for is available on the secondhand market and and how sometimes like it can be just like sitting right there without the sifting required of going to the thrift store. So that's where I said to start. Then, you know, as you're getting more deep into this, I think that it's a great practice to keep a thrift list. This is something that I talk about a lot um, because conscious shopping is important in the secondhand space just as much as any other space. Like it's all about being intentional with what you're purchasing. So I like to have a thrift list and think about the things that I'm looking for 
Because like I can walk into a thrift store and I can find magic no matter where I am, what I'm, you know, I will always find like an incredible piece. And that's just because I have spent so much time in thrift stores and I know vintage labels and I know high quality materials. And I've just like honed that eye so much that I can always find a piece of magic. But that doesn't mean that I have to own it. Like it has to be something that makes sense for my closet and that I need and with the idea of the thrift list that like I had a premeditated, uh, you know, I want to find this item and, and bring it home with me. So even if I find like a gym, uh, looking to see was this piece something that was on my thrift list? Like, did I want this before I saw this incredible piece is something that really helps me to be a conscious thrift shopper. And then, you know, the other, the last tip I would say for for new thrift shoppers is just kind of like keeping an open mind. And for me, this particularly comes into play with fit. So finding a local tailor who can make small alterations for you. I'm midsize on the curvier side and shorter. So I often need to have like a waist gap altered or have pants hemmed or sleeves shortened and just like understanding that that is a part of and that's like always been a part of how clothes fit me and so I can find something at a second stand secondhand store that I'm not spending very much on and it has a lot of great potential if I take it to a local person within my community who has the talent to make those alterations so those are my top tips no, I love it. And it's really great because you ease the listeners in with the apps and then it's like honing your eye. And I think it's awesome that you have such a good eye. That's really a talent that you should be proud of. And then again, just that reminder, like, do I actually need this? Because even if it's pre-loved or vintage or it's a gem to your point, if you don't need it, then don't bring it into your closet. Yeah, it it's so funny, like also being a person who does this and like exists on the internet because like I, I love to just look at clothing the same way that people look at art in museums. Like I, there's a story behind it. There's something to learn from it. There's a story like associated, there's a history associated with this piece. And so like, I think by doing that and like being obsessed with that a little bit, it has honed that I, but like, I'll, I'll share something that I found and I'll have like 50 people in my comments telling me that was incredible. You should have bought it. And it's like, but did I need it? Or could I just like walk into the museum and be like, this is a really incredible piece and look at the construction of this. And it's so high quality. And, you know, here's some things that I learned about this brand and then leave that piece for someone else to be delighted by. Yeah, no, totally. I, I really relate to that. And I really like that museum analogy. It's so true. And so in terms of cleaning vintage clothes, I'm sure you've brought a bunch of different vintage clothes into your life. Do you have any tips around how you care for them and how you clean them? Yeah. So one thing for me personally, and this is kind of a know yourself rule, but I know that I need to find things that are like unfussy materials. So I I don't like to have to deal with things that necessarily have to be hand washed or taken to a dry cleaner. So like those are things that I know I'm not looking for because it just doesn't fit neatly into my lifestyle. The second thing is that kind of understanding that we probably don't need to wash our clothes as often as we might think that we do. Here in the U.S., I think broadly in the global north, we tend to overwash and over dry our clothing, which is really hard on it and it doesn't require that much. And so just thinking about like, does this piece actually need to be washed? Like, you know, there are 
vintage denim aficionados who will tell you you never have to wash your pair of jeans and you shouldn't, right? And so just understanding that to not overwash your clothes, to not over dry your clothes, that can be very hard on them. So line drying wherever possible. And then on the flip side of that is like to definitely wash everything straight when it comes home from the thrift store. So I just like bring things right in and they go straight down to the laundry room and I toss them in for a wash before they come into the rest of the house. Um, But yeah, I mean, in terms of like how to get out, you know, stains, smells, etc. I've found that the internet is an absolute encyclopedia of incredible remedies. And so do a little search for whatever it is you are trying to solve and someone's great grandmother will have a solution for you i promise (laughs) no it's so true you can find anything and everything on the interwebs these days (laughs) yeah and so along the same line do you have any tips for extending the life of your garments because for a lot of these vintage pieces you may fall in love with them and you're like i want this to last forever so any tips Yeah, like I said, the line drying is really important because the drying machine can be really hard on your clothes. But also, again, going back to a tailor who can make small alterations, especially if you're a person who experiences fluctuations in size, which I do, and I think which is a part of the sustainable fashion space that we don't talk about a lot, you know, that is just as a reality that people with bodies deal with. And so understanding that like you can have someone who can take things in for you, take things out for you. And that is a part of sustainable fashion. And that is a part of the mantra, the most sustainable item of clothing is the one in your closet, like making that item of clothing in your closet work for you, I think is an important part of that conversation. Totally. And so I want to also take a step back and also talk beyond just clothing as well, because I'm super curious around how you live a more mindful life just in your day to day. Yeah. So um, I think that I'm very lucky in this because my husband is also really into the sustainable lifestyle and it's just the two of us living here. And so in a lot of ways, we have a lot of time privilege to be able to make some of these sustainable lifestyle choices that we make. But you know, one thing is like we have, we're a one car household, which in the US is not very common. You know, people typically have like a car for every driving person that lives in the house, um, especially if you live in a more rural area like we do. And we don't drive very often. Like we walk or bike most places and really enjoy that lifestyle. My husband's really good about having a sustainable kitchen, which I think just a lot of that has to do with reducing food waste, composting. He's the main cook in the house, so I can't take credit for a lot of those practices, but I think it's really cool and important as well. And then, of course, like both of us with our closets, like are very much about choosing pre-love first wherever we can. But then the other thing that I think it's important to talk about um I believe this is a takeaway that I made from reading the book All We Can Save, which is an excellent climate action book, is that my activism is also a really powerful climate offset, if you will. So I work in fashion activism. I do advocacy in this space and education in this space. And so like, I know that in many ways, 
that is making more of a difference than my sustainable closet or sustainable kitchen will ever make because it's addressing those systemic issues that go beyond just me and my household. Um, And so I think that that's also something that's really important to talk about. Yeah, totally. And I really like how you talk about the fact that it just goes beyond you and your husband and your life because when you educate other people, you motivate other people and you inspire other people to just even adopt some of the practices that you're doing, that goes so far. It really does. Don't underestimate the power that you have within your spheres, within the people that you interact with. Like You can make massive difference in those ways as well. Totally. And so we talked about this a little bit during my interview on your podcast as well. But being in this space, you can often feel kind of hopeless and you can just feel like we don't have enough time. People aren't doing enough. I'm not doing enough. And so do you ever feel that way? And if or if not, like, what do you do to combat that? That's a really great question. And and I think it's it's such an important one to talk about. And um, I hope that like, more people are having these kinds of conversations with their communities. I'm really lucky that I do fashion activism work with this great organization, Remake. And part of that work is community building work, which is like so key toward being sustainable differences is like knowing that there are other people around you supporting you and doing this work alongside you. And so that's something that like really helps me personally. Fortunately, I just personality wise don't right now experience a lot of hopelessness. And I think this is really just like the nature of my personality. I have a lot of energy and grit and my natural tendency is to just like throw myself at problems. And so I kind of come at these issues with like, um, what other choice do I have but to take action? And so the danger that can come along with that is, of course, burnout. Like if you're a person who's like constantly throwing yourself at problems. Um, And so that is something that I have to be cautious about and know when to step back and know when to lean on community, which, like I said, I'm so grateful to have a great community. I think community is a solution. (laughs) Find a great community when you're doing this work so you won't feel alone. Yeah, 100%. I think it's really important to surround yourself with the right people and know that you're not alone in this. We kind of talked about that previously. But yeah, for folks, though, that aren't perhaps as resilient as you, I think, though, they can still be very inspired by what you're doing. And also just know that if you don't like how things are going, you have the power to do something about it. And you have the power to also inspire others to join you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking about that, the future of fashion is something that all of us are kind of wondering what that looks like. And so what do you think needs to change for us to be more sustainable in the future? I love this question so much because I feel like we don't often like imagine the future that we want to live in. We're just like so tied up in talking about the problems of today. But this is another thing that I have really taken away from working with Remake. But Remake talks about how our belief is that the most effective way to change the fashion industry's dual problems of ethics and sustainability is paying garment workers a living wage. Because if we pay garment workers a living wage, it will force the business model of fashion to slow down. Companies will have to make less in order to pay people more. And so by doing that, it will both address the social and environmental damages caused by fashion. And 
that kind of takes us back again to like my why for being in this space. So for me, if I think about like what future I want to imagine in fashion, it's a future where everyone working in the fashion ecosystem, whether that's the garment worker, the retail worker, or the folks working in the secondhand industry are paid a living wage. Um, And you know, I think that raising wages to meet living wage standards, meet or exceed living wage standards will revolutionize the fashion industry and, you know, do so much to address both of these like major issues that we see in the in the current state of fashion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for a lot of my community listening, a lot of them already pay their garment workers fair and living wages. So I think all of them should just feel really proud and know that there's other people that are now hopefully taking steps to be more like them as well. Absolutely. I think that it's one of the, unfortunately, it's one of the more like revolutionary things that you can be doing. It is not a common practice within the fashion industry. And it's such like a a core root of the problem solution that, you know, you, you know, the the folks that you work for are addressing. So yes. Awesome. And I always like to ask people what their favorite books and resources are to learn more about sustainability and slow fashion in general. So is there anything you would like to share? Yeah. So at the beginning, I mentioned Overdressed, which is by Elizabeth Klein, who is one of my remake colleagues, actually. That was the book that like started my journey into this space. Um, And it's an incredible resource still to this day. A more recently published book would be Aja Barber's Consumed, which is an incredible read. And it talks about fashion and overconsumption and capitalism in a way that is really upfront and honest um, and like asks people to address their privileges and really truly understand the actual cost of clothing, the actual costs of creating a garment and how that's tied to class issues in a way that I just haven't seen any other books address. And so it's an incredible read. And then I like to read books that are about organizing, like I said, like kind of understanding the power of community and an organized community and making a difference in this work. So I just read a great book called Fight Like Hell, which is about the history of the labor movement. Um, There's a great book called Mutual Aid by Dean Spade. It's a tiny little book, like can't even be 100 pages. And it's just a it's not even specifically about fashion, but it's just like incredibly useful tools for a mutual aid community organizing. And I would highly recommend folks read it. Amazing. I haven't read Fight Like Hell or Mutual Aid yet, so I'm going to put it on my list. And so we're starting to wrap up here, but I would love to hear what's next for you and also for the pre-loved podcast. Yeah, thank you for asking. So this has been a very exciting season for Preload Podcast. I took the podcast on a tour this summer and went to visit a bunch of vintage markets and got to like meet the people that I interview for the show firsthand, which is so exciting. I just returned a couple of weeks ago from covering the Manhattan Vintage Show, which is a really iconic vintage show that happens in New York three times a year. And I was out there covering the show for the podcast. You can hear that coverage on my show. I also got to write a piece about the show for Refinery29, which was really exciting. And in 2023, I really would like to kind of do more of the same, like do more travel with the show, meet more people through the show. We are definitely do a West Coast tour leg of pre-love podcast for sure. Um, But yeah, I'm kind of at this very 
exciting, like cool to be a part of moment where with pre-love podcast where I'm like, whoa, like this is allowing me to like, this is the dream that I had, you know, like I've been doing the show, like I said, since 2018. So I've been at this for a few years now. And within the last year, year and a half, things have really started to click into place for me where I'm like, wow, like that was the vision that I had for this. And it's just kind of wild to step outside that for a moment and be like, I'm living this and I'm really grateful to be. Yeah, you just gave me goosebumps. I love that. (laughs) But I think it's so important because so often we just put our head in the sand and we just work, 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 and we never take our head out of the sand and reflect. And we're like, wow, like I did this. I've come so far, you know? It's so true. It's so true. And yeah, you think back to like, when I started the show, like, this is where I wanted to be. But did I ever, you know, know for sure I was going to to make it here? No. And and those many years of hard work paid off. And I just feel very fortunate and happy to be where I am. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, with that being said, how can everyone stay in touch with you? How can everyone support you? What are your links? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find Pre-Loved Podcast on all podcast apps. You can just search for the name or search for my name and you'll find it. You can find my work, links to my writing, um, pieces that I put out on social media um, at the handle Emily M. Stokel, just my name, all across all social platforms. I also have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Pod if you would like to support my work even further. And um, check out the show. Check out our podcast swap. I'm just so excited that we got the opportunity to do this and appreciate you for giving me the space of course thank you for coming on we will have everything linked in the show notes and my episode on emily's podcast as well but thank you so much for spending the time and really sharing your wisdom emily i know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this thanks for having me it was so much fun and that concludes this episode if you enjoyed it please take a screenshot share it to your instagram stories and tag us at Recloseted. Make sure you subscribe to our Recloseted Radio podcast on your preferred podcast platform so that new episodes are automatically downloaded and you don't miss any of our free resources. Lastly, don't forget to rate our podcast five stars and leave us a positive review. That really helps us and continues to allow us to provide this podcast for free. Together, Let's write the harmful fashion industry.